I'm honored to preach God's Word alongside faithful shepherds at this year's Steadfast Conference. This year's focus on the Great Commission is a true passion of mine as a shepherd of the local church. It's also vitally important to all of us who belong to Christ, who are commissioned to the ministry he's given us. In this session, I get to focus on the passage of Scripture whereby the Great Commission is given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 28 of Matthew's Gospel, verse 18 through 20. Turn with me there, if you will, and let's prepare to dive into God's good word and Christ's commission for us. Well, I would love to take time to exegete this entire passage, I've been asked to focus on our primary call to make disciples, and it's my pleasure to do so. I pray that this session provides real insight, clarity, and conviction for each of us who belong to Christ as we aim to better prioritize the work Jesus has commissioned us to do. Look with me at God's holy word, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is our commission? From our Lord. It is to make disciples. What is the God given call on our lives in Christ? We who are the redeemed. It is to be discipled and to make disciples. Sadly, as we look back into history, we see many church leaders and local churches, I assume with good intentions try to become innovative uh, and move away from this most important focus of disciple-making to add other ministry emphasis and church priorities. For the last couple decades, the modern church has been distracted by church growth strategies. Charismatic preachers who draw large crowds and uh, churches' commitments to, to run Many programs uh, to try to serve a multitude of people in ways that is really modeled after business models and secular ideas and philosophies. And because skilled people were hired to oversee these different ministries in the local church, much of this was done with great success. I know this system well because I was trained in it. I, I helped do it for many years. I was good at it. We executed these programs and these emphasis with great precision. The historic church I'm now privileged to pastor was known for excelling in these practices as well for many decades here in the Central Valley of California. But understand with me that these growth strategies well-executed church programs, well-designed and shaped and thought through and scripted ideas are 
are philosophies of man. They're systems of, of man to provide superficial layers of growth and perceived health. And while for many churches like ours, they did produce massive numerical growth, the problem is it was spiritually shallow growth. And as a result, generations came and then left. As their favorite leaders came and left, as their favorite programs changed or went away. Our 100-plus-year-old church, like many others, was desperate for reformation. A reformation that would mean a faithful return to the primary things of Christ. What Christ charged the church to do. With this had to be a willingness to put away the rest of what we had become good at. No matter how much we might have loved it, and or no matter how many people might walk away as a result of changing it. In the end, we are Christ's church. And so our job is to fill Christ's commission and nothing else. What was Christ's commission for us? It's very specific here. To make disciples unto the nations. I'm humbled to say that after many years of top-down reformation, our 131-year-old First Baptist Church of Bakersfield has stripped away the man-made priorities. And we've joyfully, diligently focused on only what Christ has commissioned us to do. And by His grace and power, we are seeing amazing life change, and spiritual growth, and discipleship duplication like never before. So it is an honor to join you in this topic tonight. It's one that's very near and dear to my heart. It's a very big focus of our church. We renamed the church Disciples Church for this reason. I pray that it's a great help to you and to your local church as you aim to be faithful to Christ's commission in the days that he's given us under the sun. First, if we're going to make disciples, we need to understand what a disciple is. The standard definition of a disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another. It's a follower or a learner. It refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. Applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns to be more and more like Christ. It is someone who because of God's saving grace, conforms his or her will and words and ways to the will and words and ways of Jesus. First and foremost, a disciple of Jesus needs to see that they do not belong to themselves any longer. They belong to Christ. See with me that this is the very essence of our salvation. A true Christian is not someone who has only believed that Jesus is the Christ. The demons believed Jesus was God, so much so that they trembled at his power and presence. No, a Christian is someone who has believed Jesus, believed that he is the Christ, but more so they have trusted their entire life to him. James Montgomery Boyce says it well, Real yielding of oneself to Christ goes beyond knowledge, however full and accurate that knowledge may be. 
and even beyond agreeing with or being personally moved by the gospel. This is the often overlooked emphasis of Jesus' words in the famous third chapter of John, verse 16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Notice Jesus does not simply say, whoever believes him. That is, believes what he says, that it's true, that it's able to be trusted. But rather, Jesus says, whoever believes in him. The Greek phrase for our English word in here is better translated into. What Jesus is saying here is whoever believes into him. This is the key difference between believing about or just believing something to be true and banking your life on it. True saving faith is putting all of your life into Christ. If Christ is not enough, you're done. But if he is, you're saved. You're made new. This means we put our entire life into Christ. We lean on nothing else. There is no parachute. There is no backup plan. It is all or nothing. The Scriptures clearly say that a true Christian dies to self and trusts themselves to Christ alone. Our salvation is a passing over of that line of belonging to ourselves to now belonging to Jesus. It is dying to ourselves and living to Christ. This is true conversion. Therefore, a disciple of Christ is first and foremost someone who belongs to Jesus. I want you to think of the completeness of that, the totality of it. There are, they are no longer the Lord of their own lives. Jesus is the Lord of their life. And so becoming more and more like him is the essence of our Christian life. We who belong to Christ are joyful to commit the best of our days to learning his word and obeying his commands. This is because Jesus is our master and we are joyful to be his humble servants. Only those who are saved and set free understand the utter privilege it is to belong to Jesus to no longer be in charge of our own lives like we once were when we were enslaved to sin. We who belong to Christ live to fulfill Jesus' will and commands in all that we do. Sometimes we lose sight of this in our modern setting, just how radical the call is to die to self and live to Christ. To lay down our dreams our agendas and priorities for his. To help us see this, we need to look no further than the men whom Jesus first chose to be his disciples. A few examples of their call. Matthew 4, 18 through 20 says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 14, he was walking along. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. See with me the, the radical surrender of these men, of their life, their priorities, their made plans, their personal aspirations and goals. The first disciples gave all this up to immediately and completely follow Jesus. Jesus' plans, his priorities, his goals for their lives. These were grown men who completely overhauled their lives to submit to Christ, to be trained by him, to do the work he would give them to do. I think we can be guilty of looking at the first disciples and saying, wow, what a commitment. I couldn't do it. But you can, and you must. You need to see the call on your life is no different. We too must have a radical surrender of our life, our priorities, our made plans, our personal aspirations. If Jesus is truly going to be Lord of our lives, if we are truly going to be discipled to be like him. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When Christ died on the cross for sinners, he not only stood in our place, doing what we could never do, atoning for all our sin, but he also showed us what must be done to follow him. Namely, that we are to take up our own cross and join him on the Calvary road of death self. Jesus spoke repeatedly to his disciples about taking up their crosses, instruments of death, and following him. He made it clear that if anyone would follow him, they must deny themselves, give up their lives, their way of thinking, their way of doing it to follow his way completely. Later, Jesus describes lukewarm followers who try to live partly in the old life and partly in the new as ones he wants to spit out of his mouth. Revelation 3, 15 and 16. Brethren, we're called not to be cold. We're called not even to be warm. We're called to be on fire for Jesus. This is the danger of the person who loves salvation in order to avoid the fire of eternity, but is not committed to the refining fire of sanctification that is the call on the saved to be disciples of Jesus. Please understand with me, Christ died to save us from hell but not to save us from the cross. Think about that for a moment. He died so that we would be glorified, but not to keep us from being crucified. When you look at the cross as a believer, it should bring two very important things to mind. Number one, that Jesus died in your place. A gift that you did not earn and for which you will forever praise him for. And number two, 
that Jesus died in your place to give you the power to die to yourself every day and live for Him. This is the work of the cross in our lives. We must rightly see the Christian life is one of crucifixion. It is one of daily surrender to Jesus. To Jesus' priorities and not our priorities. We must rightly see that the cross of Christ is not merely a place of past substitution. It is also a present place of daily execution of sin and self so that Christ reigns in and through us. The great tragedy of much modern Christianity is that the cross is only something that happened back then. We must see that this is the demise of the life-changing gospel into a, a commonly acceptable form of prosperity gospel. Yes, it was finished on the cross. Yes, we add nothing. We contribute nothing to salvation. But Christian, you must never let the cross lose its crucifying power in your life. Jesus is so very clear in Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The Scriptures teach if God has given you saving faith, then you have surrendered yourself to Christ. In this, you have now entered into a life as a disciple of Jesus, a life of complete self-surrender to the Lordship of Jesus alone. The problem is we see all too often that, that many Christians don't look at it this way. We still see Christianity as a journey of self-benefit. It's a helpful additive to our lives to help us or our families grow, be encouraged, maybe to encourage others, but not one of self-sacrifice that Jesus often teaches Christianity is. Oh, how I pray that this is a huge reality check for you who are redeemed. We must see what it is to be a disciple of Jesus before we effort to make disciples of Jesus as He has commissioned us to so specifically. Parents, what do your children see the Christian life is as they watch and follow you? Do they see a radical commitment to serve and follow Christ in all things, no matter what it costs, no matter how different it might look from the world? Do they see your joyful sacrifice to lay down your own agenda or the culture's agenda to live for His? I feel we need major reformation in how we see what a disciple is. Paul maybe said it best. His words and Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. A passage that you likely are very familiar with. But a passage that we need to do serious business with to contemplate what it really means to belong to Jesus and live for our Lord. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, 
but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to disciple anyone else, our kids, our friends, our brothers and sisters in our church, we must first start with the life we are living. Is it a life crucified to Christ? Are you joyful to be radically committed to Him in everything and in every way? Let us never forget the crucifixion of Jesus is, is the open display of our hellish nature. It, it's the most radical proof of our hopeless condition in sin. We were lost. No, better, we were spiritually dead. What a privilege it is to be so loved by God that even while we were His enemy, the Son of God died in our place. And in His death, our sin is counted paid for and we are adopted as God's own beloved children. When we see what Jesus really did for us, then our old, proud selves, which once so loved to display itself in power and pride, climbing ladders of morality and accomplishment, it must die. Self-reliance and self-confidence cannot live at the foot of the cross. Therefore, see with me, when God awakened your dead heart to Him, you died. You died to your old self and were bought and commissioned, made new for Him. You belong to Him, Christian. Praise God for His power and reign. The sin that once defined us is dealt with, paid for, that we're born anew in the power of God so that we can live for God and His eternal glory. So because we belong to Jesus, we are now surrendered to Him, to His Word, to His will. This is the posture of a Christian who is now ready to be discipled by another mature Christian unto Christ-likeness. The practice of disciple-making. So you must see the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to produce true humility, patience, that we would be coachable, that we would be committed, even when it gets really hard, that we would be ready to be fully shaped by God's Word, the work of the local church as He's ordained it, qualified shepherds to lead us, that we'd follow them and learn from them, and doing life with disciple-makers that would be a, a blessing to help equip us and mature us unto Christ-likeness. Discipleship will only work. It will only last as long as the person being discipled remains coachable and committed. If your buy-in is weak, if it's flippant, 
if it's compromised, if it's not a priority, then you will not stay the course. You will not hold fast through the seasons of the hardest work of sanctification in your life. Those times that can be most trying, most difficult. These are layers, though, that must be refined. But if we're not humble, if we're not coachable and surrendered, then we won't stay with it. See, in our flesh, we're still prone to be right in our own eyes, to be selfish, to be prideful. And so we often, too, are guilty of questioning or holding back from those God has appointed to shepherd us or to disciple us. For some, it means never really submitting themselves to the process of being discipled to begin with. They might be willing to faithfully attend, faithfully serve, but not really be discipled, be readied to make disciples as we are commissioned to do in this time and place. We must be willing to put down our nets, our former preferred way of doing this or that, and let someone mature in Christ lead us, grow us unto self, under Christ-likeness. When we do this, God goes to work to sanctify and mature us in the most amazing ways. I know this because I've seen it. By God's grace, we're blessed to be in our fourth, in some places, fifth generation of discipleship here at Disciples Church. The fruit that we're seeing in marriages, in families, in individuals' lives is remarkable. God truly does amazing things when we trust His means for the church and for discipleship to go to work in our lives. When biblical wisdom and practical Christ-centered coaching is put to work in the details of our lives, it changes our lives, refines us unto Christ-likeness. But you have to be humble enough to embrace it and committed enough to stay the course, even when it gets really hard, even when it's not the way you would do it, or even sometimes when it doesn't even make sense. We have to understand that we need to be discipled to, to things and places that we don't understand because we're not yet matured to understand it. It's a cheesy example that I've used over the years, but it works well, and so I'll share it with you today. If you lived through the 80s, then you're likely familiar with the pop culture classic, The Karate Kid. In this movie, Daniel LaRusso is asked a local man and trained in the arts of karate, Mr. Miyagi, to teach him the art of karate. But Daniel doesn't realize what he's in for, nor how he will get there. He just knows that this man has insight and wisdom and knowledge that he doesn't have, and so he asks him to train him. Mr. Miyagi has him then spending his days and weeks and even months washing and waxing his cars, painting his house, sanding his deck, staining the fence. And Daniel finally gets fed up with all this laborious work. And he says he's ready to quit. All he wanted to do was learn karate. Mr. Miyagi has him 
show him the techniques that he learned when doing these tasks. And so he shows him wax on, wax off, paint the house, sand the floor. And all of a sudden now, Daniel is blocking Mr. Miyagi's kicks and punches. He's doing it. All the while, he was being trained to know karate, to do karate, even though he didn't see it or realize it, even though it was really hard, even though it's not the way the student would have chosen for it to have been done. It's the same with discipleship. You have to be willing to trust the insights, the biblical wisdom, the priorities of the shepherds and the ones discipling you. If you're going to break through your old sinful habits and learn new Christ-like habits, insights, take your faith journey to a place it's never been, to grow in maturity in Christ. Hear me say, it's never too late to start this process. Young or old, anyone can start at any time. But if you belong to Christ, you must start. The question is, will you truly be coachable? Will you remain committed even when it gets really hard? When it gets really personal? When it just doesn't even make sense? Much of the things we need to go through and work through are the things we would never know or see on our own. This is God's divine blessing of discipleship. The very vehicle he's called us to practice, to multiply. The blessing of being trained and coached by another going to work in our lives. This is the work Christ intends every believer to go through so that we then in turn can take others through it. And the church grows and matures for His glory and for their good. Let me be very clear. The goal is to make disciples of Jesus. Not to make disciples of other people. Not that you would look like Fred or Sally or Pastor Joe. Let me say it again. The goal is to make disciples of Jesus. Not to make disciples of other people. This is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 11. Follow my example, he says, as I follow the example of Christ. It is essential we see that Christ is the one we're learning to be like. He is the one we ultimately follow and belong to. Our disciple-maker's job is to help us be like Christ. But we're blessed to walk with that mature believer, to see sanctification at work in them, to see gospel reorientation at work with them, to see biblical truth reorient their thinking and their decisions. We need to see that. We need to follow their example as they follow Christ. Let me slow at this point and ask you, who has or is discipling you? I mean, someone you've really invited in to know your life, to know your hurts, to know your struggles. You've given them full access to help you reform and refine unto Christ-likeness. Not just in the things you think you need to work in. For back to the example about the karate kid, there are many things that we need to work on that we would never know how to choose or say yes to. 
No, all of our daily priorities, habits, hobbies, our money, our marriages, our friendships, our parenting, our social practices, it's all on the table, ready to be refined, reformed, conformed to Christ-likeness. In this, we're truly coachable. We're committed to following our disciple-makers. There's no excuses. There's no all of a sudden turning to make our own way. And if this seems too specific or, or harsh, then look no further than the words of Christ as men inquired about what it would be to follow Him. Matthew 8, 19-22, a scribe came up and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Jesus, who is God eternal, knows the depths of these men's heart. He knows where their priorities really lie. He knows that they're going to tap out unto their own thinking, that they would be right in their own minds, they'd be right in their own priorities, that there wouldn't be a readiness to really surrender and follow through when you commit to being discipled you must be all in ready to study ready to train ready to reform your habits change your priorities so that we are shaped into christ-likeness in every way if you've never truly given yourself to being discipled in this way, you need to. Because you won't be very good at discipling others until you've been truly discipled yourself. This brings me to my next question. Who are you discipling? The commission is to make disciples. If we don't pay it forward, if, if we don't invest into the next generation, how are we to fulfill Christ's commission? Now the good news is that it's not dependent on you or me. The sovereignty of God is at work. He will save all of His elect. Praise be to God. So understand, if you don't do it, it's still going to happen. It just means it's going to happen without you. Church, I don't know about you, but I want to be committed. I want to be in the middle of what Jesus has called me to do and to be in these days that He's given me for His glory. For his purposes. I don't want to be on the outside looking in. I want to be in the middle of it. I don't want to do church and do my days the way that I'm comfortable with, the way I like it. No, I want to be sanctified. I want to be, I want to be refined. I want to mature. Don't let it happen without you. This should not be acceptable if we're going to take the Great Commission seriously. I've sat with many pastors and church leaders over my 20-year-plus pastoral ministry. I tried to make it clear, it starts with you. Until church leaders and or mature believers are willing to put in real time for many three to five years of investment, real time into others, real time into, into equipping and discipling parents, to disciple men to be godly, mature men, and women to be godly, mature women. 
then there's no true biblical discipleship happening. It starts at the top. You may call your Bible study class discipleship, but unless it looks like what Jesus did with the disciples, and then what they did in turn in response to this great commission, then it's missing some of the very best and most important layers of the life-on-life discipleship that God intends to mature the redeemed and ready them for their testimony to the lost, teaching all that he's commanded us, raising up mature believers who would go and multiply these efforts. If you're thinking, I need to get serious about discipleship, I've stayed distant from it for too long, I've kind of rewired it and I've kept others at arm's length. I've been too comfortable doing my Christian life really my way. I want God to refine me all the way through. I want to be equipped to disciple others as he has commissioned us to. If this is you, then praise God. It starts with you humbling yourself into a community who takes the entire life of the Christian seriously. It means you move beyond just attending Sunday church, Sunday night church, midweek gatherings, Bible studies, to truly seek out a mature disciple maker to invest into you. It requires that you're willing to prioritize your week differently than you have in the past and likely differently than you prefer it. It requires you letting trustworthy brothers and sisters all the way into your life without reservation or excuse to walk with you, to practice the one another's with you and help you run the long race in maturing in Christ. Beloved, it is the practice of biblical discipleship that will produce the next generation's pastors and missionaries and church leaders. It is the practice of biblical discipleship that strengthens and grows churches to be all that the Lord has modeled and called it to be. If I had time, I would fill this stage with testimony after testimony of the health and the strength and the transformation and the generational impact and the worldwide reach that true disciple-making has when we are faithful to it. Church, testifying the gospel unto people being saved and baptized, teaching them the whole counsel of God's word, investing into them with real life-on-life discipleship is how the church is healthy and lasting and God-honoring. This is what we've been commissioned to do. This is what we must do or we're disobeying our Lord. We don't need more programs. We don't need more specialized ministries or study groups. We don't need a better sound system. We just need to do what Christ has called us to do and the fruit of the Spirit will bear itself in and through us until all of God's elect are saved And he ordains to bring us home to glory. Now with what confidence do we commit ourselves to this task that we've been given by our Lord? 
Under what authority can we really do what we've been called to do with our days under the sun? And I just call our attention back to the Great Commission itself. Look at Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about what he said right there. Don't miss the power that is behind us, church. Paul does an outstanding job of speaking of the scope of Christ's authority in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Praise be to God. Our confidence, church, is in Christ. Christ alone who rules and reigns supreme over all creation. He will save all of his elect of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation. He will do this because he has the power and the authority to do it. There is no one who can upset his plans from perfect completion, church. What does this mean for you and me? It means no authority on earth or in the spiritual realm can prevail against the work God has given to us to do. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. Hear Jesus' words again. He came to them and said, all authority has been given in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, he is with us. It is his power. It is his will. See here the global reach that our disciple making is to have. The disciple making we do in our local churches, our families, has a reach and an impact to the ends of the earth. Disciple making is about making ready mature believers, many of whom will go to unreached people groups around the world to make disciples. Do you see how big the scope is in what you've been called to do? Do you see the global nature of your daily disciple making? What God has called us to do is not small. It is very regularly present in my mind in prayers that the children he's entrusted to me to raise in the truths of God, if saved by his grace to disciple and mature, could very well be next generation's missionaries, pastors, leaders. We need to have this in view. 
Beloved, we must see the scope of this commission is to the elect of the entire world. Jesus says this so clearly in John 10, 16. I have sheep, other sheep, that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Why do we give up this life's priorities? Homes, family, careers, nice cars, to give ourselves to disciple-making that reaches the nations. Why? Because it's why we're here. We're not here to build our own kingdom. We're not here for temporary things that are fleeting and fading. Because it's God's will for our days to steward the things He's entrusted to us for this work of disciple-making unto the nations. Because God will bring all of His sheep from every tribe and tongue and nation to saving faith. Because their ransom has already been paid for with the costly blood of Christ. Fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, see with me the scope and the power of this great commission. See with me the sovereign hand of God at work in and through us as we are faithful to make disciples unto the nations. We must see the full authority of Christ at the helm of these efforts in these days. He rules and reigns over all things perfectly, mightily, justly. This needs to put the most powerful motivation underneath each of us for the work the Lord has commissioned us to do. We must see it. It must move us to faithful action with nothing in our way. Jesus, who is God, who created all things and reigns over all things, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the name by which every name, that the name of Jesus every knee might bow. His name is above every name. He's the one who changes times and seasons, who removes kings and sets up kings. The ones who, he's the one who makes nations great, who destroys them, who enlarges nations and leads them away. See the reign of Christ over the most powerful rulers on earth. He regulates what kings do, sometimes holding them back, sometimes ordering international events to further His sovereign purposes. The point is this. The fact that Christ reigns supreme over all the nations means He can and He will claim whoever He wants to be part of His eternal kingdom. Does your witness of the Gospel your focus on disciple-making stand on this reality, on these truths. Beloved, see with me that no one, and I mean no one in the world, rules this way. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, see with me that Christ has all the authority in heaven and earth 
And therefore, he claims the citizens from any nation or people group to be citizens of his kingdom. This means that we who belong to Christ, who are commissioned by Christ to testify the gospel, to baptize, to teach, to disciple those that he has chosen, that we are rightful emissaries, ambassadors of the king who is over all of the kings. And no one has the right or the power to keep us from calling all of God's chosen people to repent and trust their lives to allegiance to the King, Jesus Christ. Church, we speak, we testify, we equip, we baptize, we disciple under this authority. Jesus said, what is impossible for man is possible with God. Paul said, if God is for us, who can be against us? I want to close our time together with a story that I love. I've enjoyed playing and watching the game of golf in recent years. And this story is about one of golf's all-time greats, Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer nicknamed the king. Years ago, Arnold was invited by a real king, King of Saudi Arabia, to play in a golf tournament. The king sent his private jet from Saudi Arabia to pick Arnold up. After playing for several days, before getting ready to board the plane and return, the king pulled Arnold aside and said, I want to give you a gift to say thank you for all the time you spent with us this week. And Arnold said, no, 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 no gift is necessary. This has been amazing. And the king told him it was not negotiable. He wanted to give him something to remind him of the great time they spent together. Arnold realized he wasn't going to let up. So he said, well, I, get me a golf club. I like to collect unique golf clubs. The king said it will be done. On the way home, Arnold couldn't help but wonder what kind of golf club the king of Saudi Arabia would give him. Would it be covered in diamonds or rubies? Finally, the package came, and he quickly realized it was not a golf club inside the package as it was shaped as a typical envelope. He proceeded to open the package, and much to Arnold's surprise, the king of Saudi Arabia sent him a deed to a 500-acre golf club in America. Here's the point. Sometimes kings think differently than you and I. And we serve the king of kings. The king who gave up all its glory to take on our sin and death upon him so that in him we would know what glory in life is. While others have been hailed king, there is only one king of kings and Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. We belong to him. He is our God. Let us surrender our hearts and lives to him in exaltation and praise. Let us repent of our sin and self every day and trust in Jesus along the way. Let us obey his holy word 
and faithfully live out his commands and his commission. Let us humble ourselves to be discipled by another who is equipped to train us in Christ-likeness. Let us be faithful to make disciples of others unto the ends of the earth. For the glory of our eternal God and for the eternal good of those whom He will save. Pray with me. Father, I thank You for this time to look at this priority within the Great Commission. This this call to make disciples. We thank You for the life of Christ the model that was given, the training, the patience, the shaping of these average men called unto this most special task, equipped and empowered, filled with the Holy Spirit to make disciples, to see the Gospel move about the regions, to see Your elect saved, to see many baptized, to see the Word of God faithfully taught in its completeness, that mature disciples would be raised up, that that duplication of discipleship would happen and has continued to happen. Lord, let it happen on our watch. In this time, we love that You have made us Yours. We're thankful to belong to You. It's our privilege. It's our honor Help us, Lord, put that to work with the priority of our days. The task of disciple-making unto the ends of the earth. Oh, how we look forward to knowing more of our adopted family and reigning with You forever in holy heaven. We love You. It's for Your glory that we exist and are faithful to these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.